Welcome to Southern Steep, the public health and social justice podcast brought to you by NASDAQ. Much like brewing stronger tea, this platform aims to brew stronger community by censoring the voices of community leaders and their innovative work in the Southern United States. I am your host, Bianca Ward, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague from NASDAQ, Isaiah Webster III. Hi, Isaiah. Hi, Bianca. That was really good. How did it feel? It felt a little bit magical. You know, I'm going to give you my best NPR voice. I love it. I have a story about my voice, but I will save it for later. I don't want to. I don't want to give it away up top. Um, but I do want to join you in welcoming our listeners to Southern Steep, and to just kind of say that we really are are glad that we're able to do this. Um, one of the reasons why we decided to create this podcast was to get uh, to know uh, folks in the South a little bit better, um, particularly who are folks in the South who are working at community-based organizations are people who are innovative leaders in the South. And so this podcast is really NASDAQ's way of building stronger relationships, stronger tea, if you will, with uh, community folks in the South. And so I'm thrilled to be co-hosting with you. Wonderful. Well, speaking of community leaders and folks in the South doing amazing work, let's introduce our guest today, Ms. Ashley Tarrant. Ashley serves as the Chief Operating Officer for Medical Advocacy and Outreach, MAO, which is based in Montgomery, Alabama. Welcome, Ashley. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. How are you all? I thank you for having me on the Southern Steep podcast. Is this your first time on a podcast, Ashley? This is my first podcast, so we are we should be very excited. We should be a little, little, little excited. I've been on podcasts before, but never hosted, so that's a very different feeling. But you know, we are family, so we'll be just fine. Sounds good to me. So. A little bit of backstory on how I came to know the amazing Ashley. So picture it, UCLA, summer 2017. Um, I was part of the Johnson & Johnson Healthcare Executive Program, and that's where I first, I first met Ashley. She was also a part of the same program, and we were in the same kind of like, what would you call it, Ashley? Like working group? The same work group pod. Our work group pod. Yes. And I just remember Ashley being just charming and delightful and giving her pink and green, aka big fan magic, every time she came into the room, just exuding um, all that was wonderful and Southern and excellence. And since then, I have just been in awe of the amazing work that she continues to do and has done um, and able to see it on a variety of platforms. So I am really excited to be talking to Ashley today to just kind of dive a little bit deeper into what makes her a professional superhero, because literally she is that. Um, Ashley, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the work that you're in now. I feel so special about my superhero title. I'm going to get a cape and it's going to say that on the back. So be on the lookout for it. Please do. Add it to your resume. Professional superhero is a thing. <laughs> I appreciate that. So um, I've been in the field of HIV, I would say, for probably about a little over 10 years. Um, so my start came and interest came from actually when I was in grad school, I was working um, at a major 
hospital, uh, medical center, teaching hospital, um, and working in labor and delivery. And so I was seeing, we're having a lot of patients come in, a lot of them were young, like teen moms, and sometimes they would have, you know, STDs and things like that. So I was like, what do I do in my life to work toward preventing that? Um, and then the um, UAB School of Public Health, where I was enrolled, also had classes on um, a class on HIV and AIDS. So I took the class, kind of fell in love, um, and then also took the field studies in Jamaica course, which was a course in the summer where there was some in-class learning. And then we actually went to Jamaica, to the University of West Indies and in Kingston, for like a two-week on-site class with students from the University of West Indies and then also from San Diego State University. And with that class, you had to pick between um, vector control, water and sanitation, or HIV. And so of course I chose the HIV part. And so we got some real kind of hands on the ground experience working in HIV with the Ministry of Health. And so it just stuck. And so when I came back, um, to the United States. I graduated um, the semester I came back and then went on the job hunt and MAO came around probably almost like eight months later. So it was deep into the job hunt, um, but MAO came about and I saw an opportunity and I was like, this sounds really great to be a program administrator. I didn't know what that really meant, but I was like, I think I can do it. And so here we are 10 years later and um, chief operations officer. So that's how we got to where we are. What were those three options again? You said it was sanitation control, HIV, yeah. and what was the other one? Um, vector control. So mosquitoes. So vector <laughs> control, water and sanitation, or HIV. Oh my goodness. What choices? I know. And it was very interesting. Um, we all did a little bit of the water and sanitation just as part of the class of kind of going to where it was like a water treatment facility, and then we did something else related to vector control. But then you still had to pick one of the three areas for like the extended part of the trip. And so I chose HIV, and it was great. Um, we actually got to work with some commercial sex workers, so like it was a very eye-opening experience. From for a twenty, ooh, I must have been like twenty-three-year-old. Southern girl going out of the country for the first time. Um, let's see what happens kind of thing. So it was great. I loved it. And I was like, this is, I think this is it. And so it just ended up sticking. And so here I am. So let me first say, I love the fact that you, when you left the country for the first time, it was to Jamaica, the land of my people. Um, so I can just... What an eye-opening adventure, I'm sure that was. What did you love most about Jamaica? And have you been back since? So I have been back since. Um, I So that was the summer of, 20, of 2008 was when I went the first time for the class. And so I loved it so much. I did my internship there the fall of 2009. So I went the first time for two weeks and the second time for like four months. So I loved it. Um, I love the people. I love the food, of course. Um, the second time I went, I was in Ocho Rio, so I was in the country, quote unquote, that's how they say, but also on the side, the beach side, so I could literally wake up every morning and look out my window and see the ocean. And so I miss that a lot. It was mm. a great view. Um, 
So yeah, so I loved it. Um, everything about it. I haven't been back since, so it's been like almost eleven years, but it's still on the list to get back to. Um, it was it was a great experience. What a dream. Ashley, we wanted to talk a little bit about your role as COO at uh, at MAO, uh, specifically just a little bit about what your kind of day-to-day responsibilities are, of course, but also how you see um, your work in, in kind of like the broader kind of HIV network in the South, if you will. Okay. Um, day-to-day, I do um, some of the grant management on the MS side for some of our larger grants, our Ron White um, grants. I still manage those. Um, of course, also responsible for agency operations. So really under the operations officer title comes the pharmacy, the um, IT for the agency, physical um, buildings and properties, compliance, data, and quality. So kind of all those aspects, I don't necessarily do those things on a day-to-day basis, but they're um, staff in place to work on those aspects, but I do provide the the oversight. So sometimes, you know, there are things that come about or decisions that need to be made, or there may be questions um, about things. So it keeps me busy. Um, There's a lot that goes on. Um, We are a large um, community-based organization as far as like geography. So we cover 28 counties in central and southern Alabama. So almost 2,000 square miles. It's like 1,875 square miles. Um, So within that, we have our Montgomery location. We have a -a five-day-a-week location in Dothan, Alabama, which is about two hours east, southeast of here. Um, We have a um, location in Atmore, and then we also have a location in Selma. So with all of our um, buildings and locations, it, it lends a lot for kind of operating um, in the space of having so many locations that are so far apart. Um, because at, like I said, Dothan is two hours from here, Atmore is two hours south, and then Selma is an hour west. And then we also have telemedicine clinics outside of our main locations that we um, utilize space with either health departments or federally qualified health centers. So there's, there's a lot going on at any, any given time. So I'm originally from Louisiana. I was born and raised there. And, um, you know, when someone asked me about my home state, I often tell them something that, you know, they probably wouldn't have guessed um, when we think about public health and HIV in particular about Alabama. Like what's front of mind for you? What's the one thing you want people to know about the situation on the ground in that great state? I would say people to know that, um, HIV is still a large public health issue in Alabama. But I think one thing that we can be proud of is that all of our community-based organizations working in the HIV space work so well collaboratively together. So we don't, we're not siloed. We're, we, we have the view that we're all in this together. So it's more collaboration versus competition. And I always find that people... Um, <laughs> find that differently um in our space so Is there somebody calling to offer you some money i wish um, <laughs> so yeah so it um so that's one thing that is different is that it um we 
you don't always find that everywhere. Yeah, I think that's true. Absolutely. That more collaboration, less competition. I think especially I worked in uh, CBOs in DC for a long time and it was always kind of felt like we were competing for the numbers and competing for the funding. And um, so I always tried to foster approach of collaboration because at the end of the day, it's the clients that need the service. So if we are, you know, a united front, then the folks that we serve can get the best care. Um, So kudos to you all to taking that lead on that collaboration. And also we have just been hearing so much great work about the, um, your telehealth and the way you all have really um, expanded telehealth and telemedicine during this COVID pandemic. Um, how has that been going from you and, and in your role, how are you a part of making that happen? So telehealth has been great for MAO. Um, I always kind of use the term of we were early adopters. So we actually started telemedicine in 2012. So we're eight years in. So a lot of the mistakes that people make, we've kind of made and made adjustments. So we're always um, looking to provide information and and technical assistance to others as they implement those programs. Um, For my particular role as it relates to telehealth, Um, I review a lot of the contracts. So we do have some agencies that contract with us for um, technical assistance and setup and also bridge space. So that's one thing that we've been able to increase our infrastructure where smaller organizations that will have to use telemedicine but don't necessarily have the resources to fully invest in all the aspects that are needed, especially when you get into needing to encrypt the sessions and that kind of thing. We offer, we have um, a telehealth bridge that allows us to connect with different endpoints. And so we actually um, allow organizations to use or to um, purchase space on the bridge. So I kind of help to manage those contracts. Um, and then also when we, when we receive inquiries, those things are also, you know, kind of sometimes come through me and are distributed to where they need to go, whether it's our telehealth manager or talking with our CEO about different opportunities that come about. And we also use it for meetings internally. So, you know, getting those scheduled and that kind of thing. So in preparation for our conversation, I was on the website and saw um, the HOPE program, which really kind of piqued my interest and made me smile in terms of the work that you all are doing with mothers. Tell us a little bit about the HOPE program and how that came to be. So our HOPE program, um, and HOPE stands for Health Outreach Prevention and Empowerment. And so this program, we actually work with um, our mothers who are either um, pregnant or may have young children that are still a part of the um, infant surveillance program. So at MAO, we are the home, or we, yes, are the home for um, infant surveillance um, for infants who were born to mothers who are HIV positive. And so what we have done, we collaborate with the UAB Family Clinic, and they actually provide the medical provider, um, Dr. Tina Simpson, that comes down to actually see the babies. But what we've been able to do is to create a program where we provide additional support and tracking um, for those moms and for the babies. Um, They are in the surveillance program until they're confirmed negative at 24 months of age. So we have been able to really garner resources um, through church groups and other various organizations 
um, and donations to really have a full service program. So we have clothing, baby toys, baby items, diapers, wipes, you know, with formula, we've been able to provide a lot of our moms with car seats. So just things that they would need um, that are hard to come by. Um, and so to really um, keep them engaged in the program, but also meet the needs that they have as well. Um, and so we've been able to have it too, where, <coughs> excuse me, the mom can bring in the baby to be seen by the pediatrician, but then the mom can be seen on the same day. So we also lessen the burden of having to travel multiple times to appointments. So um, like our moms from Dothan can come to Montgomery, which is only two hours, instead of having to go five hours to Birmingham. Um, moms from Selma can come over, you know, 45 minutes versus having to travel to Birmingham as well. So we're the provider that's in the middle of the state. So you have UAB in Birmingham that kind of covers North Alabama. And then there's a program in South Alabama um, at the University of South Alabama Medical Center. So we're kind of in the middle. Um, with the catch-all. And so we've really kind of been able to, to garner a lot of resources and even internal support from our MAO family, as we call, um, call ourselves, to really rally around and support um, our moms and their babies. That is awesome. And just the um, reducing of barriers by mothers being able to see their um, provider and their children seeing their provider in the same space. I have two kids and I wish I was able to, <laughs> we could all just pack up and go one place one time. Um, we are not that lucky, but it is great because we know that there are so many barriers and challenges, especially for new moms. So being able to um, decrease those as much as possible, we know just how much that impacts retention and care. So kudos to you all for meeting that need. Um, so I want to transition a little bit and this part makes me super excited. So I know, you know, you're doing amazing, you know, professional superhero work during the day at MAO, but I know that you are also a doula. I am obsessed with doulas, by the way. I think it is just doulas, birth workers is so powerful, um, and so needed, especially, um, among among black mothers, I wish I wish I had a doula. Um, I'm not having any more children, so I will just be watching from the sidelines. Oh, no, ma'am. <laughs> but tell me, uh, tell me how you got into that. What what made you, um, yeah, what made you follow that path? So it's the same story that led me to HIV, which is kind of weird. So still, you know, working in labor and delivery during grad school at the teaching hospital. Um, and just seeing kind of, I call it the birth bug bit me. So just kind of being in that environment um, and, you know, really becoming interested in birth and the process and what happens and kind of pregnancy and all those related things. It just really sparked an interest with me. And I knew I didn't want to deliver babies. Um, I wasn't really interested in being a nurse, but it was like, so where does that leave me? And kind of over time, I found out about doulas and I was like, well, let me look a little bit more into what is that and how do you do that? And like, what, what is it, what does it all mean? And so I did a little bit more research and kind of decided, I think this is my place. So this is like my, my sweet spot. I mean, I love what I do for MAO. It's great. Um, but I also love, um, being a doula and really being able to provide resources 
to um to pregnant women and their families um because i also look at doula care as being holistic and it's not it's about the mom of course um who is pregnant and going to bring forth the baby into the world but it's also about the family and so how the family almost reacts and how they're able to embrace the baby because things change and so it's i really love um the postpartum part of it as well. It's kind of like that family integration with bringing this new life forth and kind of how everybody finds their place and being a support um, to the family as well. So for folks who are not familiar, what is a doula and how does one become a doula? Or what was your training process like? So a doula is a person who provides um, support, whether that's physical or emotional support to women who are pregnant will be a birth doula. Um, So providing support during pregnancy, um, helping to obtain resources, um, and then being present with the mom during birth. So during the birth process and providing emotional support, physical support, where that's assistance with positioning, um, breathing techniques, whatever the mom's comfort measures would be. Um, And then you also have on the birth on the within the birth worker world the postpartum doula so the postpartum doula comes in provides that support after birth so where that support with breastfeeding um there may be um emotional support as well um there may be um providing light meals for the family helping with sibling care um if their family has other children um and kind of really just helping the family adjust to having this new baby so that they can find their rhythm. Um, Doulas are not medical. We do not provide medical services, but we do provide those um, emotional supports and physical support services. So Ashley, um, when we were having a conversation about you coming onto the podcast and Bianca mentioned that she wanted to have this conversation, I have to acknowledge, I didn't know what doulas were and I've done some research on my own. Mm -hmm. I would love to get your thoughts around uh, men who do this? Is it a female dominated thing? And one of the reasons why I asked that question, you know, I always see commercials on TV for, you know, caretakers or for um, babysitters and the imagery they use in these commercials, always women, you never see any men. And I was wondering if, if there are male doulas and I wonder what your thoughts are about it. So although doulas more than likely are going to be females, there are male doulas. So I come across articles from time to time that do highlight men that are doing birth work. It really is dependent upon the person and what their comfort level is. I know many times there are a lot of men that are real squeamish about babies and birth. And I don't know anything about that, but I think that it is that being a doula is a calling. And so that that calling could be for a man or for a woman. Yeah, that's good to know. You know, Bianca mentioned she has, you know, two kids. She also has a husband. And I feel like, you know, her husband could also provide care to his wife or to other women. I feel like there's fathers who could fall into that role. Yes. And a part of being um, also being a doula in the birth space is working with the mother's partner. And so that is also empowering them to be able to meet some of the needs that the mother would have as well. So it's not, again, it's about really working with the entire family to kind of prepare everyone for what's about to happen. And I always think that it's interesting that there, um, 
that I don't hear about as many men working as doulas or in labor delivery because I know so many male OBGYNs. Like my, you know, my OB was a man. There, there were at least three other men in his practice. So they're definitely out there in the delivery process and catching these babies. <laughs> but so I think it would be interesting if there were more, um, yeah, just just kind of a movement around um, men being doulas. I, 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 I could dig it. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you guys. <laughs> How do you think that being a doula, um, what do you think the role of doulas play just in terms of the um, movement for better Black um, maternal health or health for, for Black women and, um, yeah, throughout pregnancy? I would say doulas are critical um, to really have someone in your corner that can advocate for you and assist you with advocating for yourself um, is one of the biggest things that um, Black women need as they enter the birth space. Um, Just having someone else that is in your corner that can be there with you um, to assist you with, with things that may come up or providing you resources on how to determine what you would like your birth experience to be. Um, but for Black women especially, um, doulas, doulas are critical. So Ashley, as we begin our wrap up, there are two questions that we are going to try to ask every single guest that comes onto the podcast. And Full disclosure, this is one of our very first podcasts that you're that you're participating in. You're in the first batch. Okay. So I'm not sure if you're going to be episode one, two, or three, but you're going to be somewhere in there. I get to be the test. I get to be the test. Let's see what happens. Well, actually, when we have this huge audience of people that's following us and listening to us, we're gonna you'll be able to say, you know what? I got that ball rolling down the hill. I did. I did. So anyway, the two questions that we're going to try to ask every guest that comes on uh, uh, are what do you love about the South and what do you want to see for the South? Mm. Wow. Those are some good ones. So I am a Southern girl born and raised. And so even with all of the difficulties we face in the South, um, I love it. Um, I really couldn't imagine myself living anywhere else. Um, I love the weather. I love the food. I love the people. It's just, it's a magical place to be. Um, But I would love to see the South to grow. Um, There are so many things that are stigmatized in the South and so many things that we need to advocate for that if we had um, would make make the South even better. Um, So really, changing of attitudes around um, different things um, could really be a benefit, whether that's getting into Medicaid expansion. I mean, there's so many things that I just wish that we could fully embrace in the South um, that would just make the Southern experience um, even better than it is. So can I ask one more question? I know. Just, yeah. you know, sliding in my things. Um, if you weren't in public health, what would you be doing? What's that? You went outside of being a doula too? Outside, yes. 
own. Mm-hmm. I don't what did know. little Ashley want to do when she was well, a little, little girl? Ashley wanted to be a doctor. So, I mean, I'm still <laughs> kind of in the in the public health realm. And so retired Ashley won't, will be a doula full time when that happens. So I just haven't ever really thought about anything outside of any of those aspects. Um, I just think for me, I think being a doula fits my personality so well of, you know, being helpful and, you know, being there to provide assistance to, um, to families. And so I really haven't thought of anything outside of those aspects. So I don't know, maybe just a world traveler if I just didn't have to, you know, work for money and I could just be around, I would just kind of travel around, see different things. I love it. And you are a, an amazing and compassionate and caring professional superhero. So no matter what it is you're doing, I know you will be bringing your best self. So thank you. Thank you for taking this time. Thank you for, um, you know, being our guinea pig. Is guinea pig appropriate? I don't I, it really okay. isn't beyond <laughs> For I being our have. one of our inaugural guests. There, that, there we go. An inaugural guest. That is a good one. That is a that is a good one. Where you we get to that, use our big people words. Yeah, that sounds more inaugural regal. Guests. She's our one of our inaugural guests. Yes. I love it. Come on, big people words. <laughs> I just want to thank you guys and give a major shout out to Bianca. I mean, we've been we were the only girls in our group, so we have been. Oh, with Winsome. Oh, we yeah. had we did have Winsome. So I mean, we've kind of been been stuck like chucks since UCLA so it just kind of clicked and and here we are three years later it's kind of crazy that it's been that long time goes by so fast it does and it's been amazing to continue for our past to continue to cross if anything I appreciate that the most we've come a long way come a long way we've come a long way darling we've come a long way baby as they say we've come a long way baby Well, thank you, Ashley. I appreciate you. Thank you for taking the time. And I wish you all the best in the South. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And Isaiah, it was great to meet you. Likewise. Much success on the Southern Steep podcast. We'll have have you back. (laughs) Yes. um, Anytime. Just let me know. All right. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. She is delightful. Like, what a wonderful way to start off this podcast, Bianca Ward. Just, just a treasure. <laughs> just a treasure. So before we move into the Southern Charm, can I, can I share my story that I teased earlier in the pod? Please. So, you know, this isn't television. Obviously, people can only hear us. And so it's all voice, voice inflection, and whatever. And I don't know how you feel about your voice, which is quite lovely. But I, I can tell you when I realized that I had a weird voice, um, I was in high school and I had come home from school and there I had, I had called and left a message for my mom. <clears throat> Excuse me. But she didn't get the message until I got back. So she played the message when I got there. And so I heard the message at the same time that she heard the message. And it's the first time that I can recall hearing my voice on the answering machine. And I was like, is that what I sound like? Is that what y'all hear when I talk? (laughs) And how did it make you feel? What did you, (laughs) 
in terms of, is that what you hear? And it's amazing or oof, is that what y'all hear? It was an eye-opening, earth-turning moment because I was like, okay, wow. So like, yeah, it's turning. <laughs> it's it really was an eye opener, and I was like, okay, so this is this is what it is. I'm just going to have to, you know, I have other talents. You know, God gave me many talents, and so I can lean into them. And so I say all that to say, in doing this podcast, I'm really thinking, I'm I'm really channeling a voice that I enjoy and I like hearing. And not the one that I heard on that answering machine. <laughs> so that's really the point of that story. Well, thank goodness for growth <laughs> and self-awareness. You have time to perfect it, but it really is lovely. You could sound like a chipmunk, no judgment, but you don't. Okay, Southern Charm? Southern Charm. So it's time for a segment we call Southern Charm. Here we're highlighting the work of someone or an organization that is charmingly impacting the South. On this episode, we're highlighting Mama Toto Village, a nonprofit organization located in Washington, D.C., devoted to creating career pathways for women of color in the field of public health and human services and providing accessible perinatal support services designed to empower women with the necessary tools to make the most informed decisions in their maternity care, their parenting, and their lives. Their services include, but are not limited to, Perinatal, prenatal and labor support, postpartum care services, and lactation support provided by an amazing team of trained and certified community birth workers. Mama Toto also provides a variety of wraparound care to meet the needs of mothers and their families, from mental health support to assistance accessing social services. Not only is Mama Toto serving the community, they're also creating opportunities for people interested in the field of maternal and child health by offering a host of trainings and certifications. Their vision is simply healthy mamas, healthy families, healthy communities. To learn more about the truly phenomenal work and support the mission of Mama Toto Village, visit them online at mamatotovillage.org. That's M-A-M-A-T-O-T-O-V-I-L-L-A-G-E.org. They sound amazing, Bianca. They truly are. I think when I first got introduced to Mama Toto, a good friend of mine um, works there and was a community birth worker. And Mama Toto serves women primarily in Ward 7 and 8 in D.C., um, Black women. And they truly provide a variety of services, not only the, um, you know, doula in postpartum care, but really their their case management, the care for the families. I remember when I was a case manager in DC, um, one of my clients um, at the time was pregnant with her first baby. She at the when I started working with her, she'd been homeless and you know finally got into some supportive housing and I had reached out to Mama Toto to um, provide some postpartum care because she was by herself, she first baby. And it was amazing. The women really huddled around her and and provided support in a way that um, she may not have traditionally have had access to. Um, when we think of doulas, it's kind of like, um, especially Black women in this community, we 
there's always been a doula. There's always been grandma or auntie or big sister or somebody to kind of come in and um, be that support. But I think Mama Toto Village does it in a way that is um, intentional and is rooted um, also in in care and social justice. So kudos to them for for being truly professional superheroes. Absolutely. You know, one of the most exciting things about being able to, to to do this podcast and to do it with you is that, you know, there's all of these superheroes around us in the South who are doing incredible work in, in communities of color. And we get an opportunity to kind of highlight them and talk about them. And, you know, they're, they're doing the work. They've been doing the work for a long time. I mean, Ashley is a perfect example of, of that, you know, and but I don't feel like um, these leaders in the South really get the recognition and and get the the kind of the the crowns, if you will, that they have earned. And so it is amazing to have a platform uh, that we're devoting specifically to the achievements of of community leaders in the South and community based organizations in the South um, who are doing such amazing work. It's absolutely the most exciting part about this podcast. For sure, it's great to be able to provide a platform and give folks these, you know, give them their flowers, their their jewels, if you will, while they're still here. As you a say way flowers, to... I say crowns. Okay, well, okay. <laughs> Whatever makes you feel good. <laughs> give them their things. Give them their things. Well, Bianca, we made it through the first episode together. I thought this was amazing. I kind of want to do another one right now. We don't have any schedule. To, this is the last one scheduled today. Okay. Well, it gives me time to, to breathe and decompress before the next one, but I'm excited. This is fun. Thank you, Isaiah Webster. Shouldn't we be thanking our listeners? Oh, yes. And them. <laughs> Thank you for the folks that, that tuned in and gave us their time to listen, to be informed, to hopefully take a gem, a jewel, a crown of their own to continue to do the amazing work that they do. I'm Isaiah Webster. And I'm Bianca Ward. Thanks for listening.